بسم الله بسم الله والحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن وله أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله تعالى وبركاته. How's everybody doing? Good. Alhamdulillah. So today, inshallah, we are beginning hadith number four. And this hadith is from Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. Just very briefly, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, he was from a poor family. He was the sixth person to embrace Islam, subhanAllah. His mother was also a very early convert. So you can imagine, mashallah, there's barakah in the home and so early on embracing Islam when Islam was just, just you know, five other people, subhanAllah. Um, he was the first person to recite Qur'an publicly in Mecca. And he actually got beat up for it, but he was so, you know, he had, mashallah, so much pride in his deen and so much uh, passion for da'wah that he said he'd do it anyway. Do you think you could close that door? Um, he uh, migrated to both Abyssinia and then to Medina, subhanAllah, which shows that he made great sacrifices for the sake of Islam. And if that wasn't enough, he participated in all of the battles with the Prophet He was present in every single one of the battles, subhanAllah. Later on, uh, after the passing of the Prophet he uh, was given a post in Kufa, and because of that position, and because he was somebody who was teaching deen so frequently, and that was his, uh, you know, that was part of his role, uh, he basically laid the groundwork for the Kufan uh, uh, school of law, a school of fiqh. So subhanAllah uh, clearly made a very powerful impact, and he died uh, in Medina roughly at around the age of 60. He related around 848 hadith. And he would often, he was known to uh, uh, get very nervous and shake and sweat when he would narrate the ahadith out of fear for saying it incorrectly. So subhanAllah, he had so much taqwa uh, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, understanding just how imp- important his position is to narrate and to convey the wahi, the revelation uh, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through the Prophet through himself. Uh, the Prophet did say about him, خُذُوا الْقُرْآنِ مِنْ أَرْبَعَةٍ مِنْ, uh, من عَبْدِ اللَّهِ ibn Mas'ud. Uh, and he started with him, subhanAllah. وَالسَّالِمْ مَوْلَىٰ أَبِي حُذَيْفَةِ وَمُعَاذِ بِنْ جَبَلْ وَأُبَيْ بِنْ Now the Prophet said, take and learn from Qur'an from four people. And he started with Abdullah bin Mas'ud, then he mentioned Salim, the freed slave of Abu Hudayfa, and then Mu'adh bin Jabal, and then Ubay uh, ibn Ka'ab. So four people, the Prophet specifically said, these are my, you know, you could say top students that I've spent enough time teaching them and them learning from me, that this is where you want to learn Qur'an from. And he started with Abdullah bin Mas'ud. So clearly, uh, he's got an incredible position with the Prophet And so he says in this hadith, Abdullah bin Mas'ud, he says, حَدَّثَنَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمُ وَهُوَ الصَّادِقُ الْمَسْدُوقُ He says that the Prophet narrated to us, and he is a sadiq, the truthful, and al-masduq. Why does he mention this? There's a few opinions. One is because... Uh, well, first and foremost, the Quraysh, they knew the Prophet ﷺ, even the disbelievers knew the Prophet ﷺ was a sadiq. He was the most truth, truth, truthful. So the question is, how, did they, how could he be truthful about everything in this dunya and yet lie about the most important thing, about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the purpose of life and so on and so forth? So this was something they could never reconcile because it doesn't make sense. He was the most truthful person. Usually somebody who's going to uh, work their way up to a big lie Usually they, they start out by, by, by being, you know, uh, tricksters, con men, etc. And then you work your way to bigger lies. But the idea of uh, uh, being the most truthful person and then telling the biggest of lies, subhanAllah, uh, uh, this is not reconcilable. Um, so yes, he is as-sadiq and al-masduq. Why? Masduq means the one who is uh, believed. He is, the, he is the one who is telling the truth and he is the one who is believed. Believed by who? Believed by anybody who is rational and intelligent. This was the, uh, uh, you know, you could say... 
the expression what it implied. Now, why would he specify this before beginning this hadith? Most likely, and Allah knows best, but it could be because he's about to talk about ilm al-ghayb. He's about to talk about things that people know nothing about. You know, and so therefore you just have to take it on faith. And he's, so, he's saying, that he, he is the messenger of Allah. He is the most truthful. And he, he is the one that you should affirm. So he's talking about al-ghayb. What's interesting is that yes, these are matters of al-ghayb, uh, except nowadays, subhanAllah, we find that these are issues that can actually be looked into and that the Prophet indeed was telling the truth. Sadaqa Rasulullah So as we're going to see, inshallah ta'ala, as the, uh, as the hadith goes on. So what did he, he mention? He mentioned that the Prophet says, إِنَّ خَلْقَ أَحَدِكُمْ يُجْمَعُ فِي بَطْنِ أُمِّهِ That the creation of every single one of you starts in, in the process of uh, collecting the material for his body in the womb. In other words, the, the, the gathering in the womb. Now, yujma'u, here, the collecting, could be a reference to intercourse. Could be a reference to the fact that the man and the woman come together and that the necessary genetic material, if you will, simply <laughs> for to keep it uh, PC, uh, 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 comes together and for the, uh, for the sake of creating a, a human being. It's fascinating, subhanAllah, that 400 sperm reach the ovum but only one is chosen, then the ovum builds a thick wall that prevents further sperm from penetrating. So subhanAllah, just imagine, you have 400 competing to get in, one gets let in, and then a barrier gets formed to make sure that there's no you know, extras, distortion, etc. So subhanAllah, it's just an incredible, incredible process. Now the term button here refers to the, uh, uh, the abdomen region. So it includes the stomach as well as the womb. Obviously, it's lower than, uh, but but still, that is the you know button is sort of a general term. And what's interesting is that uh, the, this is a reference to the womb, and the womb, as we know, is ar-rahim. Ar-rahim means uh, uh, the womb in Arabic. And the Prophet does mention in a different hadith, ar-rahimun yarhamuhum ar-rahman, irhamu man fil man fil ard, yarhamkum man fil sama. Ar-rahim. That those who are merciful, they are shown mercy by the most merciful. It's a very interesting and well, beautifully worded hadith. That those who are merciful to each other, they are shown mercy by Ar-Rahman, the most merciful. So be merciful to those who are on earth and you will be shown mercy from the one who is in the heavens. Speaking about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then he says, the Prophet says, the womb, ar-Rahim, is named after ar-Rahman. Why? To show the, you know, the, 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 the connection and the importance of this womb. And the idea here is what? That, uh, uh, so whoever connects it, as in connects the ties of the womb. In other words, for those who keep good relations with your, uh, 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 you know, uh, siblings and with your parents and so on and so forth, whoever keeps family together, then Allah is going to connect them. Wasalahullah. Then Allah is going to keep them together. Uh, whoever cuts the, 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 the connections of the womb, then Allah Ta'ala will cut them off as well. Allah. So there's a Hassan uh, hadith in Tirmidhi uh, emphasizing the importance of uh, keeping the relations of the womb. But we go, digress. The hadith uh, continues and says what? After mentioning that uh, the materials come together in the womb, and then what happens? Uh, uh, that they come together and then for 40 days, for 40 days and 40 nights. Then within those 40 days and 40 nights, they become a clot of thick blood, uh, 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 which is a uh, uh, similar, and, and then they become a piece of flesh 
that is seemed like a chewed piece of flesh. So this is a very interesting hadith. Now, the hadith, the particular narration in Arba'in al-Nawwi, Imam al-Nawwi, it seems that he made a mistake. He did what's known as idmaj. Idmaj is when you add an extra word by accident. Why did he? He added the word nutfa. And the reason why he added that word is because usually you find the mention of alaqa and mudha with nutfa. You find that these words come together in the Qur'an in a few places and even in a hadith in a few instances. And so it seems that he added that word. But when you actually look at the narration itself, not just in his personal book, but in the where he got it from. He got it from Bukhari and Muslim and various other uh, sources. You find that that word is, is not mentioned. So it's clearly that he just, it was just a scribe error. Uh, it was just a, 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 you know, an accidental an, uh, addition. And yes, we know this is from the Quran in Surah, for example, uh, Surah Al-Hajj. Allah says, فَإِنَّا خَلَقْنَاكُمْ مِن تُرَابٍ ثُمَّ مِن نُطْفَةٍ ثُمَّ مِن عَلَقَةٍ ثُمَّ مِن مُضْغَةٍ So you see the نُطْفَة and then the عَلَقَة and then the Mudra, they're mentioned together. So it's, it makes sense, or you can see, you could understand why he would make that scribal error. This is also mentioned in other places. ثُمَّ خَلَقْنَا النُطْفَةَ عَلَقَةً فَخَلَقْنَا الْعَلَقَةَ مُضْغَةً فَخَلَقْنَا الْمُضْغَةَ عِظَامًا So again, you have this نُطْفَة, then عَلَقَة, then مُضْغَة. Uh, this is mentioned in Surah 23, which is Surah Mu'minun, ayah number 14. So yes, this, you find this, this repetition a few times in the Qur'an. Um, now, what is the nutfa? Just to, even though it's not technically mentioned in this hadith uh, from the narrations of Bukhari and Muslim and so forth, what is a nutfa? It means like a drop, and it's a reference to a sperm drop in most cases. So, for example, the male gamete, the sperm, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala mentions it when He says, "Alam, uh, uh, alam So that Allah Taala says, "What had uh, had He not been a sperm uh, from semen that was emitted?" Yumna, uh, emitted. So this is specific. The fact that it was shot out and emitted is showing that this drop is not a reference to, let's say, for example, uh, the, uh, the egg in the womb or some, some, something else. It's referring to that which is, comes out or shoots out. And so therefore, this nutfa uh, is clearly being described uh, or is clearly describing uh, semen as it comes out and the sperm. Same thing with when Allah Ta'ala says, what? وَأَنَّهُ خَلَقَ الزَّوْجَيْنِ الذَّكَرَ وَالْأُنْثَى مِن نُطْفَةٍ إِذَا تُمْنَى So the word tumna, again, means to, to emit or to shoot out. And this is, a, this is an incredible ayah in Surah Al-Najm, subhanAllah, this is truly a miracle, because Allah says, وَأَنَّهُ خَلَقَ الزَّوْجَيْنِ الذَّكَرَ وَالْأُنْثَى That he is the one who creates the male and the female مِن نُطْفَةٍ from a sperm drop إِذَا تُمْنَى when it is emitted. And now, nowadays, uh, nowadays we know that uh, uh, a woman, she has the XX chromosomes, Therefore, she can either offer one X or one X. You know, she, that's all that can be offered. Whereas the male has the XY chromosomes. And therefore, if he offers an X, then it becomes XX a girl. And if he offers the Y, then it becomes XY a male. And so therefore, the, the, the male is the one, the, the, the male sperm is the one that determines the gender. And this is exactly what Allah is saying. That uh, Allah is saying, what? It is He, specifically He the one, Allah is the one, who created the male and the female from what? From the sperm when it is emitted. So Allah Ta'ala is specifying that the male's genetic material is what specifies uh, 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 gender. Now obviously, you, have a, you could say you have a 33% chance, right? You could say that it's the woman that determines gender, the male, or you could say it's the combination of both. And so, did the, did, is this just lucky? And subhanAllah, obviously, this is uh, wahi min Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's wahi, and therefore there is no chance uh, that's, uh, you know, just getting lucky. And what's even more fascinating, subhanAllah, when it comes to the specific, the specific knowledge that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave and endowed the Prophet the Prophet was once asked about al-azl. 
Al-azl, the technical term is coitus interruptus, uh, uh, and the uh, less technical term is just pulling out. You know, so when a man is engaging in intercourse with his wife, he can simply, if he does not want to impregnate, then he can just pull out. Uh, this is called al-azl. And he was asked about this. Look at the response, subhanAllah. The Prophet says, this is in Sahih Muslim. مَا مِنْ كُلِّ الْمَاءِ يَكُونُ الْوَلَدِ فَإِذَا أَرَادَ اللَّهُ خَلْقَ شَيْءٍ لَمْ يَمْنَعْهُ شَيْءٌ That the child doesn't come from the entirety of the liquid. The Prophet, this is so amazing. That the Prophet is saying, listen, you think to yourself, oh, if I you know, pull out, then you know, perhaps uh, I will avoid having the child. But it could be the case that something was, that a little bit came out prior uh, without your knowledge. And so Allah, uh, the Prophet is saying what? That if Allah wants to bring something about, in other words, if you engage in intercourse, if Allah Ta'ala wants a child to come, even if you think you're holding back, then subhanAllah, the child may come. Why? Because it's not the entirety that is necessary uh, for the baby to be born. Now, how would the Prophet know something like that? Like, think about that. That is incredible. The fact that the Prophet is saying that you don't need the entirety of the male material in order to create the child. Rather, you just need such a tiny, uh, one, one single uh, sperm. It's, it's, it's truly remarkable, subhanAllah, the fact that the Prophet was, was, was telling us this and that uh, this only is found out much, much later on. Nowadays, you know, subhanAllah, they can uh, preserve a person's uh, sperm and then just, you know, it, it, what's it called? Uh, artificial insem- insemination, right? So, which is even more evidence that you need just so, so little. SubhanAllah, it's truly incredible. Yes. Now, of course, the mixed together can also refer to the nutfah when Allah Ta'ala says, Inna khalaqna al-insana min nutfatin amshajin. Indeed, we created a man from a sperm drop that is mixed, a mixture. And this is a reference to both the sperm and the egg coming together. So it could refer to both. But like I said, when it's tumna, it seems to be clearly referring to the male portion. And when amshajin, it's referring to the, the, the mix of both. Now, that is for the word nutfah. As for alaqa, <clears throat> it means something that is clinging, something that is like a leech, and something that is like a clot. And this is, subhanAllah, the exact... Uh, a description of the baby when it's in the womb. Uh, you know, it is, it is essentially exactly like a leech, both in the way it looks and it is in its function, which is why it just drains the mother and the mothers get very tired. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's very difficult because you have this thing that is leeching from your body, subhanAllah. Uh, and, 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 and mudha, mudha implies uh, a chewed lump or something that has been masticated. And subhanAllah, I'm sure we've all seen those pictures when it comes to like science in the Quran of how, you know, the, the, when you chew on something, and your molars, they, they start wide and then they kind of curve, you know, obviously because your, because your teeth curve. So when you chew on something, you have wide at the top and then it curves and gets thinner towards the bottom. That exact shape of something that looks chewed is exactly the shape of, uh, uh this, this, this lump, uh, this mudha, this thing that looks like a chewed, that it's in the exact shape of something that has been chewed. So subhanAllah, it is truly remarkable that the Prophet is giving such beautiful descriptions to these different stages. Nutfa, and then alaqa, and then mudra. Now, the popular interpretation of this hadith is that when it says this happens in 40, and then like it, what they understand from this is that there's 40 days, and then 40 days, and then 40 days. So they say after 120 days, or uh, after four months, that's when, and we're going to get to it in a moment, but basically the ruh comes in. Now, the issue with this is that that does not seem to be uh, scientifically accurate. Rather, it seems to be accurate that the hadith is describing what? That within all 40 days, within just the, just the first 40 days, the three stages take place. The nutfa turns into an alaqa, and then the alaqa turns into the mudha, and that seems to be the most accurate. And that also seems to be in line with several other ahadith, 
which specifically talk about the angel coming in and determining all these different things after roughly 40 days. So we're going to get into those uh, hadith in just a moment. But yes, this is the main point. That even though most of the time, most Muslims would tell you that when does the ruh come in? Most Muslims will say after four months. Most Muslims would say after 120 days, right? And based on this hadith. But what they're doing is they're neglecting all the other corroborating evidence that demonstrates that no, this hadith is not mentioning 40 and then another 40 and then another 40. Rather, it's mentioning 40 and all three stages are within it. And so uh, that seems to be the stronger opinion, both from a medical perspective and from these corroborating narrations, which I'll mention. For example, the Prophet says what? يَدْخُلُ الْمَلَكُ عَلَى النُطْفَةِ بَعْدَ مَا تَسْتَقِرُّ فِي الرَّحِمِ بِأَرْبَعِينَ أَوْ خَمْسَةٍ وَأَرْبَعِينَ لَيْلَةً so that the drop, uh, uh, when the drop of semen remains in the womb for 40 to 45 days, so somewhere between 40 and 45 uh, or nights, the angel comes and says, my Lord, will he be good or evil? Uh, what will be written for him? And same thing with it, will it be male or female? And what will be written for him? And what about his actions? What about his death? What about his livelihood? And so on and so forth. So this is another narration. And then there's a, a, a third one that says what? Thintan. Uh, that 42 nights specifically. And there's another one that mentions 40 nights. So, uh, uh, yes. So there are, I have one, two, I have three different narrations that are specifying that the angel comes after somewhere between 40 to 42 to 45, somewhere in that range. So, Wallahu ta'ala a'lam, this hadith in Arba'in al Nawi, when it goes on to say that uh, uh, the angel then comes, as, uh, as the Prophet says, ثُمَّ يُبْعَثُ إِلَيْهِ الْمَلَكُ فَيُؤْذَنُ بِأَرْبَعِ كَلِمَاتٍ So the, the Prophet says what? The angel then comes. Now, so I just want to clarify. This seems to be a reference to what? After 40 days, the angel comes and, and clarifies what? Four different things. Now, I want to mention something which is truly remarkable. SubhanAllah. It's so amazing that, you know, if you go on Google and you just look up, I, I found uh, on www.pbs.org, you know, they were describing. It says... Uh, a crucial event that determines whether the embryo will develop into a male or female occurs in the second half of six weeks. Six weeks is 42 days. So, so I mean, that's like, you know I mean, the hadith specifically says 42 days or somewhere close, like, you know, 40, 45, basically somewhere around 42. And then you go online and they say, yeah, six weeks, you know, around the six weeks mark. Six weeks, wait, seven times six is 42. I'm like, wait, that's pretty, that's pretty dead on. Like, you know, again, so is it just, you know, did he get lucky? You know, how can you, how can you say that, subhanAllah, even, you know, the top scientists are saying what? They're saying, listen, after 42 days, it seems that the gender is determined. Around that mark of 42 days, gender is determined. And then, subhanAllah, the malak, the angel comes in and says what? Whether it's going to be shaqi, we're going to get into the whole hadith, inshallah, I'll mention the whole hadith, but one of the points is what? Determines whether it's going to be male or female. SubhanAllah al-Azim. I mean, truly, truly remarkable. Um, it should be, uh, before I continue, I do want to mention uh, a crucial, important point, that um, th- this brings up the issue of abortion. We know that Christians, uh, specifically you know, Catholics, I think all Christians, but they, they, they say that uh, the, the ruh or the soul comes in the moment of inception. The moment of inception, that there's a person uh, uh, immediately. And the Muslims, we say, no, the ruh comes in later on. Now, like I said, it seems that a popular opinion is 120 days, which is four months. But, like, but based on this hadith, it seems actually that it's 40 days after. So then that begs the question, what about an abortion uh, uh, before that and after that? So fuqaha have different uh, opinions about this, but it seems that 
abortion is allowed in dire circumstances. If it's going to, let's say, for example, take the, take the life of the mother, if it's something very dangerous, if, it's a, if we're talking about a case of rape and so on and so forth, then it seems that in these cases uh, it is permissible, especially if it's before the 40-day mark. But it should be avoided. In other cases, it should be avoided. It shouldn't be something that people just do, oh, you know, uh, you know I just don't feel like having a kid. Or, it shouldn't be something taken lightly. And it, it is considered something sinful, even if the ruh is not there. And the main reason is because even if, the ch- even if there isn't a ruh and it's not a person, it's still the beginnings of a person. It's still leading to a person. And therefore, you're cutting that process. And life is a, is, is a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And to cut that is uh, uh, you know, uh, considered sinful, even if it's not considered murder. So, yes, it should be avoided, and it should most definitely be avoided if somebody's doing it for the sake of, let's say, fear of poverty, because there are various ayat in the Qur'an, one in Surah An'am, another one in Surah Isra, where Allah says, do not kill your, uh, your children out of fear, khashat al-imlaq, out of fear of poverty. Allah is the one who provides for you and them, or for them and you. Allah switches the order of those two ayat. And there's different reasons as to why. But anyway, we'll get into that another time, inshallah. Yes. <clears throat> so, yes, uh, uh, as for a miscarriage... Before the ruh comes in, it does not require a funeral prayer. After the ruh, after the 40 days, or if you take the position of 120 days, whichever, whichever position you're taking, after that point, if there is a, 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 either an abortion or a miscarriage, then uh, obviously the funeral prayer should be prayed. And if uh, the child was aborted, then there should be blood money paid. Uh, basically, it should be treated as a person. Um, and now, of course... If somebody does have a miscarriage, even if it's before the time, it seems that it is still recommended to have the funeral uh, uh, prayer, even if it's before the time that the ruh comes in. Why? Because the Prophet says, "What wasiktu yusalla alayhi wa yudaa liwalidehi bil maghfirati wa That prayer should be offered over an abortion uh, and forgiveness and mercy, or maybe the term. I don't think abortion is the right term. I think the term here is. Um, uh, miscarriage. Prayer should be offered over uh, a miscarriage and forgiveness and mercy uh, uh, should be supplicated for the, its parents. This is in Abu Dawood and it's considered a sahih hadith. In other words, even if it hasn't come to the point where the ruh is, comes in, just uh, I guess you could say for the sake of closure, for the sake of uh, rahmah, for the parents making dua for them, so on and so forth, it still is encouraged. So, wallahu ta'ala alam, this seems to be the, the uh, strong opinion that if it's before that term, it's recommended. And if it's after that term, then it is obligatory. And Allah knows best. So, uh, yes. Then the hadith continues. So I mentioned this part. That the, the Allah ta- uh, an, an angel is sent. And it is given the permission. Or you could say it is ordered to do what? To write down four things. Now the question is, why does Allah say al-malak? The angel. Wallahu alam, instead of saying an angel... And leaving it open-ended and nakira, uh, like uh, uh, unknown, it's ma'rifa, it's, it's specified, it's lam uh, al-ahad. And so what is the idea here? That there must be a specific angel that is appointed with this job. That it, there's a specific angel that goes around and writes the qadr uh, of each and every single child before the, uh, as they are developing in the womb. So what, what are the four things that it writes? Fayaktub rizqahu, sorry, it's livelihood as in how much wealth it, uh, it's going to amass, how much it's going to earn, and so on and so forth. Now, this is a very important point, because if your rizq is written, then as a believer, you should never compromise on your deen for money. You should never say to yourself, oh, I have an opportunity to make a little bit of extra money by doing something haram. Why would you displease Allah Ta'ala? He is the one who your rizq is in his hands. 
He is the one who has written for you your rizq. You are going to get what has been written for you. So never compromise your deen for the sake of rizq, because the rizq is coming, inshaAllah ta'ala. That's number one. Number two is, وَأَجَلَهُ And his time, his period, in other words, referring to your death. How, lo- how long you will live and when you will die. So this is another point. You should not fear death because your worry won't change its date. You know, the whole idea is that, oh, if I'm worried about it, then I'll be more cautious. If I'm, if I'm more cautious, then I'll live longer. It doesn't work like that. Uh, you can, obviously, as a believer, you're supposed to be cautious, and you're not supposed to throw yourself uh, you know, uh, in, into like, um, foolish things and try to get yourself killed. Sure. But at the same time, hyper-cautiousness, uh, uh, being overly fearful, and trying to always protect yourself, it's fruitless. Because ultimately, you will pass away anyhow. So you have to just accept the fact that uh, ultimately we all have to go one day or another, and that ultimately Allah Ta'ala already knows and has written when that day is. And so we all have to simply accept this fact, and accepting it, inshallah Ta'ala, makes us more brave and makes us more comfortable with this reality. That's, that's, just, that's just what it does. Because I know I'm not going to live forever. How many generations before me who are richer than me and smarter than me and more beautiful than me and more whatever, whatever terms you want to come up with, and where are they now? They're all dead. Right? So I just have to, instead of me being obsessed with my money or my looks or my, I don't know, whatever it may be, uh, status, people have been before me much richer, which, with higher status and with a much more famous name and so on and so forth. So I just have to accept that I'm going to be just like them. Time is going to keep rolling on and just roll over me like it rolled over all of them. That's what time does, and we'd all just have to accept it. So subhanAllah, if that is the case, might as well live according to your principles and not compromise. Might as well live according to your principles, and even if it takes your life, then that's fine. I accept that. Why? Because I'd rather be a principled person and live according to my beliefs and my deen instead of living as a coward and still be taken away at the same time anyway. It doesn't benefit me at all. So yeah, the first one was, رِزْقَهُ وَأَجَلَهُ That his livelihood, his, or you could say provisions, his wealth. Number two is the date of death. Number three is, وَعَمَلَهُ وَعَمَلَهُ That his deeds. And so Allah Ta'ala does write out and is aware fully of what type of actions we will do, whether they are good or bad. And from that we get number four, which is what? وَشَقِيٌّ أَمْ سَعِيدٌ Whether they will be wretched or blessed. Shaqi means miserable. Sa'id means happy. And the idea here is those who go to Jahannam, they are uh, uh, shaqi. And those who go to paradise, they are sa'id. And so we ask Allah Ta'ala to make us of those who are Sa'id and not Shaqi. Amin Ya Rabbil Alameen. Now this is, brings up a big question. Well, if it's written, if it's already maktub, what's the point of making dua about it? It's not going to change, right? So, Wallahu Alam, it seems that the, uh, uh, the opinion is that the reason why Allah Ta'ala has the angels write it down is because Allah Ta'ala has knowledge of the unseen. Now, the, now His knowledge of the unseen will not change because Allah Ta'ala's knowledge is perfect. But that which is written is you could say it won't change unless Allah Ta'ala changes it. And the only reason Allah Ta'ala would change it is if you beg of Him. So it makes sense to say, okay, maybe perhaps it is written upon me that I am shaqi, that I am going 